Welcome to this podcast of sermons at CUNY United Methodist Church. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 16th chapter. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be my man. You cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. And I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will come, will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told them, take your bill and make it 800. Master commanded the dishonest manager because he had acted truly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly worldly wealth to gain friends of yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed in eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Word of the Lord. So our passage today, our reading was from the Gospel of Luke, about in the middle, maybe a little past the middle, far enough that Jesus is already fighting with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were, I've heard Pharisees called, very religious people. They knew the law. They knew how to follow it. They were doing good. And they were looking for a respectable Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah, you know, who who knew the law and could follow it. You know, somebody a lot like them, maybe a little bit better. And I think... Especially after hearing this parable, we kind of want a Messiah like that. We want a Messiah who makes sense, who's respectable, you know, who behaves himself. We want a Messiah that was so inspiring and made so much sense to people that more and more people followed him as they were healed. And pretty soon everyone was following this Messiah and they made him king and other nations heard about him and then the whole world is following the Son of God. But that is not the Messiah we got. We got a Messiah, Jesus, who had crowds followed him until he didn't, until the crowds abandoned him who was charged with crimes and executed a criminal. We have a Messiah who was not respectable and frankly doesn't make sense. So Jesus had been sparring with the Pharisees. We heard some of that last week. And then today it begins with he turned to his disciples. 
So he's been telling stories to the Pharisees, and now he turns to the disciples. Let me tell you a story. There was a rich man whose manager was, ac was accused of wasting his possessions. He had actually just used that word wasting, because the story right before this is the prodigal son. You know, the son who had the inheritance, who took the inheritance, and then went to a foreign country and wasted his inheritance. So we have a, we have a manager who's wasting the rich man's possessions. And so the rich man called him over and said, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager anymore. Master heard rumors. That was good enough, no due process, just you're out. And so the manager said to himself, what shall I do? My manager is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. Apparently those were the options. It reminds me of folks, you know, who've worked in a company for 20 years or 30 years and are part of the layoffs. What do I do now? Part of his life was over. And then he has an idea. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, I want people to welcome me into their houses. So he used his last time as manager to change those accounts that rich man wanted to see. 900 gallons of olive oil, make it 450. 1,000 bushels of wheat, make it 800. That's a pretty good cut off of that debt. Now you know something I'm wondering about? Why did these folks owe the rich man the olive oil and the wheat? Did they borrow 900 gallons of olive oil? Or did they borrow 1,000 bushels of wheat? It sounds a lot more like they were sharecroppers. And in sharecropping, you know, the one person owns the land, and the sharecropper does all the work and then pays a portion of the harvest to the one who owns. And that's a lot. I actually looked it up today in the US. Um, they get about 40 bushels of wheat per acre. So this was a time, you know, where they're working by hand, 800 bushels of wheat. That's a huge amount, and that's the markdown amount the markdown amount. And then, so if they're a sharecropper, well, let's look at how sharecropping works. Let's look at how it works in this country. In this country, the Europeans arrived to a continent, you know, where the land was owned by the native nations, and through decades, centuries of wars of conquest, all of that land was conquered by these European folks who later became Americans. And then after the land was taken by conquest, it was sometimes it was given to folks, you know, uppity-ups. Sometimes it was sold at very little, often to nobility from Europe. You know, in Europe, if you were a, you were a younger son, you didn't inherit, but you were still noble. So you came to America, and you got given a bunch of land, or you bought land very cheaply. Now you needed people to work it. So you brought in folks to be sharecroppers. And they were, you know, white people who were from lower class to do the work. Or they were black people who had been stolen to do the work. 
And this follows this pattern of, you know, the hard-working poor and the rich, you know, do little and uh, receive all of that. In Israel, the details were a little bit different, but the basic pattern was pretty similar as to how people, the people who were working the land did not own the land they were working. And our manager writes off debt. He's acting like one of those farmers, not like the rich man. And then we hear the master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. The story ended, but it is not clear where. Is the master who commended the, the manager, is that the rich man? Maybe. Maybe it was because something's better than nothing. Is the master the master teacher who was telling the parable. If it was the rich man, it kind of doesn't make sense, unless that was it, something's better than nothing, and there's part of the story Jesus left out. Because first he's saying you're fired, and now he's telling you him he's great, for what sounds like the same thing. If the rich, if the master is Jesus, well, that sounds like Jesus is saying, you know, good job swindling. Or maybe it's sarcasm. It's kind of, it kind of doesn't make sense. <clears throat> We're not the only ones with this struggle. If you go look in different Bibles, they've given this story different names that are quite different. We have the parable of the shrewd manager. That sounds pretty good. The parable of the dishonest manager. Not as good. The parable of the unjust steward. That sounds even worse. And <laughs> When I was looking up commentaries, and people came up with all these different ideas this week, I read things like, it starts with, this is a difficult text. This is the most perplexing of Jesus' parables. This is the hardest parable. One scholar even said, even Luke seems clueless as to what to do with this parable. Sometimes Jesus just doesn't make sense. So, and then, after we get this parable that kind of seems a little immoral, we get these moral statements that seem a little tacked on on the end. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Those are, you know, the conclusion of the story, but it really doesn't quite match the parable. And yet, Jesus was teaching his disciples. He had turned from the Pharisees to the disciples. And he used parables to tell us about the kingdom of heaven, to tell us how God works. So where is God in this story? In the story of the lost son, the prodigal son, you know, who took the inheritance and went and wasted it, the father was the God figure. In the parable of the, of the banquet where the, you know, the master sends the people out into the streets and says, everyone come, it's the, it's the master who is, you know, the God figure. Well, right after this reading from Luke, the very next Verse, Jesus goes right back 
to fighting with the Pharisees, and it starts with, Pharisees were lovers of money, and he tells a story about a rich man and Lazarus. And there was a rich man who was pretty indifferent to the suffering of others, and that rich man was not the God figure in that story. And so when we look at these parables, when we look at this one, who, who's, the, who's the manager? Is the manager us? Jesus turned to the disciples and told a story about a manager. What if the manager is Christ? What if this dishonest, shrewd, unjust manager is a Christ figure? The manager did turn everything upside down. Jesus was all about turning things upside down. Jesus went, the manager went from loyalty to, the, to his employer to loyalty to his community and to benefiting the community. The steward's life, the manager's life as he had known it, had come to an end. And that was death. That was a death in his life. And fundamentally, Christ was all about death and resurrection. If we want to, to understand Christ, it's always about death and resurrection. It's helpful to look at this story and compare it to the parable called the unjust, the unforgiving servant, where the, the master forgives the debt of the servant who then goes about not forgiving anybody else's debt. So that was forgiveness from the top down. Here we have a rich man who does no forgiving, but then the manager goes about forgiving. We have forgiveness from the bottom up. Now that's starting to sound a little more like Jesus, a little more like Christ. The steward manager dies and rises like Jesus. The manager raises others up with his own death and resurrection. Now that's a lot like Jesus. The manager was a crook, also like Jesus. Wait, you say? Wait, you say? Jesus is, he is not a crook like Jesus. Well, let me tell you. Actually, Jesus was kind of a crook. And this is being recorded, so you can snip that out if you want to. Jesus was kind of a crook because we know that all of creation is created by God. But that is not how people thought back then. God was in the heavens. God was the author of life. And down here, this was Satan's realm. And Jesus was mucking it up. Taking things that didn't belong to him. Planting life in all of these places where Satan had planted death. Jesus was breaking all kinds of rules. See, Satan had the, Satan, they saw, this was the realm of Satan where death brings death. That's how it works. That makes sense. Where hierarchies are set up, where some people benefit and some people suffer, where, where power trumps goodness, where possessions possess their owners. Satan had his realm with these rules of respectability, where systems of oppression are upheld and where debt Forgiveness is just wrong. And Jesus was not respectable. Jesus didn't follow these rules. He broke the Sabbath. <clears throat> he hung out with sinners. 
He hung out with crooks. And he died a criminal. In the words of Robert Capon, he said, Jesus became sin for us sinners, weak for us weaklings, lost for us losers. He became dead for us dead. So instead of death bringing death, Jesus brought grace. Brought grace through death. And that grace brings life where Satan planted death. Well, the Pharisees, you know, they wanted a respectable Messiah. And I think sometimes we fall into the same trap where we want a respectable Messiah. So we try to clean Jesus up. We forget that he broke all kinds of rules of respectability. And we want him to fit into the way the world works. It is a reminder that lest we think Satan has no power with the religious, Satan always has. And that means us. Because Jesus is still breaking all kinds of rules of respectability. He's still bringing in the riffraff, calling them to salvation. He's still sin for us sinners. He, he became lost for us, broken like us, so that we could trust him. So that we knew that when Jesus looks at us, it's not through rose-colored glasses. Jesus sees the truth and he still dies for us. He still comes to save us, knowing exactly who we are. And so who are we in the parable? It might be, it might be a good um, exercise this week to spend some time with that parable and say, where do I fit in? And maybe every day it will be different. Some days I'm the Pharisee saying, for God's sake, behave yourself. <laughs> you know, be respectable. Because sometimes we do that. We want Jesus to be respectable, and, and therefore we reject Jesus. And there's all these ways that we reject Jesus. I don't need to pray daily. It really doesn't matter. I come to church when it's handy and, you know, up to my standards. I open up my Bible to find verses that... Show how I'm right, that prove what I think. I give what's left over at the end of my month. I don't get too enthusiastic about church, that would be a little embarrassing, or too enthusiastic about faith. I stay respectable. Or are we those farmers? Are we those sharecroppers who had our debt wiped out, removed? And it doesn't make sense and we don't really care. And now daily prayer is this exciting meeting with a friend. And church is a weekly party of salvation. And we read scripture because we want to be changed into this manager who makes no sense. And our giving is off the top. Because it is such a joy to be part of what God is doing in this world. And we sing and pray and proclaim our faith with joy. We have something amazing in this church. When we gather together, we have this amazing way that we share this joy that makes no sense. 
death and resurrection makes no sense, but we share it together. We follow the one who turned everything upside down, who invaded this world to give it back to us. And next Sunday, because the weather's going to be good and lovely, we're going to take all of us and we're going to go down to the park. We're going to go down to the river. We're going to sing down to the river to pray. And we're going to go down there and we're going to share that joy with creation, with those who walk by. And they might get a glimpse of what is this joy that is going on in this community. And maybe they will say, I want me some of that. And so that is actually a lovely time to invite friends, to invite family members who might be a little nervous about walking into a church. It's just a party. It's just a party for salvation. Come join it and have some fun. And then we will get to sing, Alleluia, praise God. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you lift us up to the heights. <clears throat> Lord, free us of the need for you to make sense. Because when you make sense, we know we are unsavable. But when you don't make sense, we know we have seen what you have done for us, that you come to us unworthy as we are, even when we don't make sense, and you save us through death and resurrection. And we pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast is preached almost always by our pastor, Reverend Mia Crosswaite. CUNA United Methodist Church is a community on a mission to make disciples for the transformation of the world. To support this podcast and the missional priorities of this church, go to cunaumc.org and click on Give. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you things.